Good morning and welcome to the Shepherd's Voice podcast. This is a ministry of Catoctin Covenant Presbyterian Church here in Purcellville, Virginia. I'm Pastor Charles Biggs. Our question today is concerning evangelism. I'm asked, share some of your thoughts, Pastor Biggs, uh, about evangelism. What are some of the most important things to keep in mind uh, with regard to evangelism? A few things that come to mind uh, concerning evangelism. The first and foremost is just defining it simply. Um, Evangelism comes from uh, that word evangel, just means good news. So it's gospelizing. It's making known the good news. Evangel uh, is the gospel. Uh, The gospel is what we're actively doing. We're making it known. Um, But I would start after a definition by saying that it's most important uh, with evangelism to be growing in your prayers, that that you're praying for your own heart to be gentle, to be humble, to be compassionate, to be aware of those around you who are in need, um, to be prayerfully deliberate and purposeful each and every day that you'll meet at least one person that you'll say, how can I pray for you? Or I'm a Christian, I'd like to share the gospel with you. However it is that uh, you're given the opportunity. So prayer, second, the prayer that is accompanied with the fullness of the Spirit. You know, in the book of Acts, you can read through the book of Acts, and I have recently um, looked at it very carefully. And you note that every time the an individual's praying, or the people are praying especially, they're filled with the Spirit, and they're given a boldness, a boldness for sharing the gospel, uh, a boldness uh, for speaking the truth. When the Apostle Paul, a trained evangelist, a uh, ordained, called, experienced evangelist, uh, when he writes to the uh, church at Ephesus, right at the end, every he talks about spiritual warfare, he says, pray unceasingly, pray continually for one another. And then he says, and pray for me, pray for me for boldness. So boldness is most important. Another thing is the saturation of Scripture, just constantly saturating yourself with Scripture, praying scripture, meditating on scripture, which just means to do more than memorize it. You're actually bringing it up in your head. You're thinking about it until it warms your heart and moves you to action. And so prayer, Holy Spirit, saturation of scripture is something that you can do every day as a kind of a preparation for evangelism, to prepare yourself with the gospel for the sharing of the gospel. A second thing to very importantly to keep in mind with evangelism is that you must have not only right theology that comes from scripture you must have a right kind of life Um, and an evangelist uh, whether formally called and sent like myself or an evangelist that that we're all called to as christians are those who want to demonstrate christ likeness we want to have not just the lips that speak the truth but also the life that demonstrates the truth. People aren't going to listen to you uh, uh, concerning Christ if they don't see a bit of Christ in you. And so that's very important. Another aspect of evangelism is the calling of the church. I think we all have to be reminded that we're called to three primary um, services as church. Um, One is the worship of God. Two is Christian nurture or discipleship teaching. And three is witness. Those are the three main callings of the church, the church as it exists locally, really. In the book of Acts, you see all three of these. You might call the worship of God the upreach, 
seeking uh, to be faithful to God in the worship, particularly on the Lord's Day with preaching and sacraments and prayers and fellowship, but the upreach. Then you have the Christian nurture, the teaching, the discipleship, the making disciples out of all the nations, as Jesus says at the end of Matthew. That is the inreach. If you have the upreach in worship, you have an inreach. But then you have the witness. That's the outreach. And it's to be a flow out from worship and Christian nurture uh, to reaching our neighbors, reaching the lost. And so upreach, inreach, and outreach. And those three are the callings of the church. So it's not just that a few people are called to it. Some are called to ordained ministry. Yes, indeed. But we're all called as Christians, as church, to do upreach, inreach, and outreach. So how would um, I say more about evangelism as witness or outreach, that gospeling? I would say, first of all, is to pray for a repentant, gospel-focused hunger. As the Lord Jesus says uh, in John 4, at the end of the chapter, he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. He says, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. And so Jesus' hunger was uh, given by the Father. He, he constantly remembered that he was being sent by the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to, uh, to, to the lost, to be a friend of sinners. And I think we need to be reminded that when Jesus was ascended and enthroned at God's right hand in Acts, his first work as glorious King of kings and Lord of lords was to send the Spirit who would then make us like Christ in our lives, but then make us like Christ in our witness, so that we too would have a repentant, Christ-focused hunger. We, the Spirit would focus us on Christ and His ministry, but the Spirit would also give us that same kind of compassion and uh, desire to see uh, the lost found, uh, to see uh, we saying with Christ that my desire, my food is to do the will of the Father. You see, you see that, don't you? The missional God, the Father sending the Son, who then the Father sends through the Son, the Spirit, uh, to his people to then go out and uh, make uh, strangers friends uh, of Christ. We uh, see this... Um, and so all do this, all are called to do it. There are, yes, those who are called, uh, ordained to be evangelists in special offices like myself, but there are also <clears throat> all Christians, as I said before, are called to do the work of an evangelist. Now, when I think of evangelism, I often think of two kinds. There's the organized evangelism and there's the organic. Now, when you look through the book of Acts, what you're going to find is there are some organic evangelistic opportunities, but most of it all are, um, they're just organic. Uh, they're people meeting other people. They're people um, meeting friends. Uh, there are people telling friends. We see this in the beginning of John where uh, uh, one one who's looking for Christ comes to one disciple who then tells the other disciple who then brings him to Christ. We see this in John 12, where the Gentiles are seeking after Christ, and they're brought to Christ. And we see this especially in the Samaritan woman, the nameless Samaritan woman, where Jesus, at the well of, of Jacob, makes a connection with her, uh, captivates her through the gospel, confronts her with the holy demands of God's law, 
clarifies and corrects some of her poor theology and then calls her to himself and then sends her. And so we have this very organic kind of personal one-on-one evangelism. I think we can talk at another time on organized evangelism. I would especially like it uh, to have Pastor uh, Ben Franks here for us to discuss that, you know, organized evangelism where you just decide you're going to go out and hand out flyers, you're going to be part of the community as we've been for years here in Percival, Virginia, where we've been part of parades, we've been part of special event days, where we're handing out, we're welcoming, we're inviting But I think what you see most in Acts and what I'm interested in focusing on right now is that organic personal evangelism where incrementally you get to know that person you're working with better. Um, That that person wants to know a little bit more about your story. That that person's interested in why you are, in in your words, and not necessarily their words, but why you're so Christ-like, why you're humble, why you're patient. They want to know. That's when you get to interpret for them. Uh, that's when you begin to ask questions. That's when the relationship is formed. Uh, organic evangelism is is going knocking on your neighbor's uh, doors. And um, you might do that in two ways. You might have a new neighbor and you bring a cake or you bring some muffins and you introduce yourself. You tell them this is for uh, you as a gift. We're, we're Christians. We'd love to pray for you. Um, be welcoming to your neighbors. It might be that you've lived somewhere so long you don't know your neighbors, and you go to your neighbors, and very humbly you knock on the door and you say something like, you know what, I've been a Christian all this time, and I've known that I should welcome you and introduce myself, and I haven't. Please forgive me. It's a good start. Uh, It's humbling, but it's a good start. But it's getting to know your neighbors. It's opening up with those in your workplace as you have the opportunity. Um, It's getting to know your friends a little bit better, at least in how they think spiritually, especially your unbelieving friends I'm speaking of. So that organic evangelism. And it's so glorious that um, when you're focusing on John 4, you go to John 4, you see Jesus at the well. There's a way that you can keep in mind um, a a, a method of evangelism is very easy, very simple, and and one that everyone can do who's united to Christ and filled with his spirit. And that is this. You look to Jesus first. You remember that you were a desperately wicked sinner and that he's forgiven you and he's shown you grace. And you let that work into your heart very deeply so that there's not only a warmth and a zeal for helping others to find that same gospel in Christ, but it's also uh, to remind you uh, that... uh, that no one's a hopeless case, that we must never look on the outside of someone and say, you know, that, that they're just too far gone. Um, we can be praying for them. We can be encouraging them. You know, I, I would say of myself, I was too far gone. The Apostle Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Uh, so no one is ever too far gone to come to Christ uh, when, when he's calling them. But you can look to Christ there, see his love. But there's Uh, what I said earlier I'd like to close with, and it's you can see Jesus how he does with the Samaritan woman. So he's at the well. He connects with her. They both are weary. They're both thirsty, and he asks for a drink. But then he captivates her. He captivates her with the gospel by beginning to say, if you knew who it was who was asking you. So he talks about his identity, begins to talk about himself. She just doesn't know it. If you knew who was asking you and the gift of God, he talks about identity. He talks about the gift. The captivation of the gospel is beginning to talk about who Jesus is. It's beginning to talk about the gift that he wants to give. 
the who Jesus is and the gift he wants to get. That's a captivating. And by God's grace, the spirit is present either to draw to Jesus or perhaps to push away. We hope it's always drawing in salvation, not judgment, but it can, the Spirit is pleased to do both. But there's a captivation. Then there's a confrontation. Jesus confronts the woman at the well and says, you've been living in sin. Um, you, you, you not only have one husband, you have five. And so there was a, a compassionate confrontation about the demands of God's holy law, and she knew that. Um, there's some correction. She's asking about worship at uh, certain places, and he says, well, you don't really know about worship. You're wrong in your theology, and he clarifies. He says, salvation's of the Jews. Uh, it, you know, it's first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, of course, as we know from larger scripture. But the, the point he's doing is he's clarifying to say that the Father's seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. That is, not just outwardly, but from the heart. And so he's he's correcting, he's clarifying, he's helping her to know her Bible better. And then finally, he calls her. Now, we don't see that call, but we see the results of the call. And I think it's because John wants us to see under the inspiration of the Spirit what he said in John 3 about the Spirit moving sovereignly, that we don't see where it's coming from or where it goes, but we see the results. We see the fruit of the Spirit's work. We see the, like the wind we see the tree blow, but we don't see the wind. And so the Spirit here takes this woman, calls her to himself, and she begins to trust him because she goes off with this very basic but sincere uh, desire to evangel, to evangelize, to gospelize. And she says, come meet a man who told, who told me everything I've ever done. And yet she's not ashamed. She's not embarrassed. She's been forgiven. Uh, she's begun to know the, uh, the, the trustworthiness of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ, and she wants to share that. So she's called, and then one woman, a nameless Samaritan woman that we might know when we get to heaven. We will know when we get to heaven by God's grace. We'll know her name. Uh, we know Nicodemus. We know the disciple's name. We don't know her name, but she brought a revival. And the Bible tells us in Acts 9.31 that the church... In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord, and then the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So that church was established through one relational, uh, one relationship, one woman, nameless woman, who then tr put her trust in Christ and went and, um, and really changed the whole, changed, changed the Samaritan world, this village that became a church. So you can do that too. I can do that too. Um, yes, there are fears. We want to please men. We don't like to be um, rejected. But here's the thing. We serve the one in union with him who is rejected by men and who said, when they receive you, they're receiving me. If they receive me, they're receiving the Father. And he tells us, he's saying that when you're faithful, you may not see the results you want, but when you're faithful, the Lord is pleased to bless you. And it might just be that you're rejected along with the Father and with Christ. And so you have that privilege of being rejected with them, along with all the other faithful prophets. And blessed are you when they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me, for great is your reward in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets before you. So there's persecution and there's fears. And in Christ, by his Spirit, through prayer, through the saturation of Holy Scripture, through the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome. Let's do that together and be faithful, and let's see one friend that we begin praying for. Uh, let's call this friend the Nameless Samaritan um, Hope. 
and that through that change, through that one person, that connecting, that captivating, that confronting, that correcting, that calling of being used as an instrument to call by the Holy Spirit, we'll see uh, conversions by God's grace. If you've enjoyed this podcast of The Shepherd's Voice and you've benefited from it, please share it with your friends and please write a review. And if you'd like more information about Catoctin Covenant Presbyterian Church, you might go to www.catoctin.org. That website address is www.ketoctin.org. We'll talk to you next time.